Welcome to The Autistic Advantage, where we discuss the remarkable abilities of brains built with these unique neurological traits. Society is just starting to acknowledge, understand, and value the myriad ways autistic individuals integrate in family, cultural, business, political, and societal life. This podcast aimed to speed up the process by showing that autistic people can be successful in their neurotypical world as it is today. In today's episode, we're speaking with Ennis Olson, Global Innovation Lead for Food at Google, about autistic innovation superpowers, relationships in and out of the workplace, and how a deliberate change in the tone of his voice led to an overnight change in how people treated him. One of the reasons that people were particularly interested to hear your point of view is because, of course, you're at Google. So you're in one of Mm -hmm. the best known and largest tech organizations today. Um, What can we do within corporations, even those that have an inclusive culture or claim to have an inclusive culture towards neurodivergent people, to ensure that autistics in the office are secure when they have autistic meltdowns or emotional dysregulation issues, um, so that they're not perceived as threats by other employees or the environment? It's uh, such a great question and one that personally hits home for me. Google has an incredible inclusive culture. Now, a company of sufficient size like Google won't be perfect. And the thing we have to remember about inclusivity and culture is, especially in a large company, there's also culture of the team you're on versus the company. And I have found in the context of Google as a whole, this incredible community of autistic Googlers or neurodiverse Googlers with on many different spectrums or neurodiverse uh, abilities that gives me the sense that I actually belong in this company. I haven't felt that in any company I have ever worked for in over 20 years. Wow. And that is simply because I know that more people like me are there and we can talk openly about who we are and the way we think. Google also has a specific program that they've worked on with the Stanford Neurodiversity Project to help hire autistic Googlers into specific roles that they will likely do very well in. And, you know, there is this perception in tech that there's a higher rate or prevalence of people on spectrum. There's not a lot of data that tells that story, but anecdotally, it seems pretty well established. Especially in the Valley. Especially in the Valley. But that comes with the stereotype of the geeky white male engineer. Yes. And not all engineers are autistic or are they male or are they white? And when you consider how underdiagnosed autism is outside of the white male stereotype for women or people of color, we have probably even more in our workplace than we realize. But I'm not in engineering. I work with engineers, but I I work within a business team that's about building the culture of the spaces and places at Google. And so for me, I have the really interesting perspective of What do I need to be effective in my workplace? And then I can help our team think about how to do that for the other Googlers. Mm. One of the things that is really hard to handle in the workplace is the meltdown. I will tell you, I have, that is the one that I have masked the most in my life, personally and professionally. I had enough labels as a kid just from family and extended family 
of being too dramatic, being overly sensitive, having these meltdowns for what most people thought were not sufficient to cause a meltdown mm -hmm. at work. It was like no emotion. Do not let anyone see that you're melting down. I have had the incredible benefit of an incredible leader just in the past two years who was able to just sit with me through some of these meltdowns. That person didn't even know that I was on Spectrum. I hadn't shared it with them yet. But knowing that I had a safe place with my leader to be able to be emotional, especially when I couldn't mask it anymore and I'd hit my breaking point, has made a world of difference. Awesome. And in that same vein, um, could you share some of the things that you found especially challenging and some things that were easier because of autism for you? Yeah, I have, I have a theory to be proved yet that the reason you find neurodivergent people in roles like mine with innovation is because innovation and the process we're teaching is almost like teaching neurotypicals how to be neurodivergent. Ooh, nice. Innovation is asking you to find connections that are non-obvious, that are not being solved by linear logic. Because if it had, we would have already solved them. And we're doing it with methods that are teaching people how to cast a wide net of different data sources and different fields of study and bring them together. So much of what building a creative, innovative team in products has been about in the last 20 and 30 years is bringing teams of people together from multiple fields of study to bring their own lens to one problem. Autistic people are naturally good at this. And I think it's why I enjoy the work that I do so much. And I can very quickly see a pattern or a connection and everyone's like, what are you talking about? And then two hours further into the conversation, they finally see all the connections because we've talked through them. But I made that connection immediately. Being able to solve complex problems and finding that in the context of product innovation or service innovation, I'm able to just be myself has been freeing because it, it actually makes sense for why I ended up doing what I did, even though I didn't have the diagnosis when I went into it. On the flip side, once you come up with the idea and you need to execute, now it's all about relationships. So great, we solved the problem. Now you have to work through the relationships in the organization to make all of it happen. And that's where it starts to break down. One of the ways it's broken down for me, or actually two of the ways, consistently throughout my career, I speak in a factual manner. And I've since learned how so many people on Spectrum speak with this idea of it's an unqualified fact, but in our brains it's a fact because we are pulling from data. We're not just making it up. But that's not how most people think. So when they hear it, they don't necessarily believe it. So like, they want more proof that what I'm saying is accurate, or they want more proof that they can trust that this insight is truly an insight. The other place that it comes into play is if you speak with less emotion and more factual, and you are speaking about things that seem obvious to you, it can be interpreted as arrogant. Mm -hmm. I've had so many people, both friends and coworkers, ask me, basically tell me, you just think you're smarter than everybody else, right? No, I don't actually. And it's, it's not even a part of my thinking to think, oh, who's smarter here? I'm excited about the problem at hand. 
I'm not excited about who gets it right. I'm just excited to find the right answer. And I think that's actually true for a lot of people on Spectrum. We're excited to get to the answer. And being told that you're smart is a backhanded compliment. Because on the one hand, you're saying, oh, well, you're so smart. Like, yes, but you just othered me. You just made me not you. By saying that you think you must be smarter, you're separating me from you. And I think this is one of the things that I wish more holistic people understood. We don't want sympathy. Well, I'll, I'll put it in my terms. I don't want sympathy. I just want to be understood. And I don't want you coming at this with the assumption that I think I'm better at this because I want to do it with you. I just wish more holistic people could understand like, hey, you have a whole set of patterns for how you want to hear information. It's not how I process information or the world around me. And that's why I'm bringing you really interesting ways of solving this problem. So embrace that difference. Be curious about that difference. Don't assume that it has anything to do with anything more than solving the problem together. In the workplace, um, if you look at once you have uh, come out as autistic, um, how can we avoid the trap of going from autistic professional to professional autistic, i.e. the autistic identity taking over your whole identity? I'm asking myself that question now because it feels like it has started to take over the identity. Um, this has been a recurring conversation about any identity, especially as we think about intersectional identities. You know, we might think about the different identities or labels that we might think of ourselves in or that we might hear others describe themselves in. And I think at times, some people can truly make that their whole identity. They pick one that feels like this explains it all. For myself, I don't think my autistic identity explains it all any more than my ADHD identity, any more than my gay or queer identities. And for me, it's actually recognizing that out of all of them, the autism reflects the way my brain thinks and operates. So it infuses pretty much everything I do. But at the same time, I do have all these other identities and they influence what I do. So I've started to think about how do I talk about autism as one part that influences a lot of how I interpret and then how I respond, and particularly in a social setting. It absolutely influences so much more than that, but I do try to stick with this is where the autism identity on its own tends to come out for me and the way that I experience the world. So would you say that it, it shows up strongest in your work relationships or in your personal relationships? It shows up strongest in work, in part because my personal relationships learn and adjust and adapt with me into those situations. Ooh, how do you work, get that to happen? Uh, through a lot of arguments, <laughs> through <laughs> misunderstandings, through <laughs> difficult situations. You know, my, my husband and I talk about this um, a fair bit, which helps. We, for the first decade we were together, I didn't have this diagnosis. Is he holistic? And he is holistic. And what's interesting is he's a pediatrician who helps identify autism and ADHD in children. But he didn't know me as a child. 
And I've learned so many different forms of masking and different, essentially like different pieces of code that I'm like, oh, insert macro here, run this script. And like, I get through them. And part of the journey of going through this with my personal relationships has been helping them see where some of the challenges we might've had before might've actually come from a misunderstanding of the way that they're holistic and I'm not. And it's actually opened up a deeper understanding in my marriage. It's opened up a deeper relationship with friends of even over 20 years. It's changed some of my family relationships and the way that I'm able to, to relate to family. But you get to go to the really deep, meaningful, vulnerable, emotional spaces with family and friends. We don't tend to go there with coworkers. And finding and navigating how to help them see this part of myself and how we can work together more effectively is still a challenge. And for me personally, I come from the lens of I'm happy to find ways to be more flexible and meet you where you are. I only ask that you attempt to do the same. Okay, so we, we've had quite a few uh, questions more for you about work, but I have to admit that one of the most popular uh, area of questions for you was, of course, personal relationships, since you're kindly willing to talk about them. Could you talk a bit more about the um, autistic-alistic relationships, you being in a uh, non-traditional, uh, as the What's the, did you see the Wall Street Journal article that came out like two days ago where it's, oh, it's a catastrophe, all the American values of traditional religion, family, marriage, et cetera, are going. Anyway, so with, uh, since you don't fit inside the American box, um, how does that show up for you? Anything you want to share? Clearly people were really keen on hearing your perspective on personal relationships. Yeah. I've had the incredible privilege of traveling extensively. And I have yet to meet any group of humans anywhere in the world. I've made it to six of the seven continents at this point. I have yet to meet any humans who don't at the end of the day essentially have the same relationship with each other as any other human. My husband and I still have conversations over who's taking out the garbage. It's that basic. And where it actually brings a sense of levity and humor in an holistic and autistic relationship like me and my husband he used to say things like, can you take out the garbage? Yeah. Right. Yes, I can. Oh, you want me to take out the garbage? Like, that's different than answering the question, right? At the same time, usually when he would ask it, it would be a Thursday evening because our trash day is Friday. That conversation is not take the trash out of the bathroom and put it in the bin downstairs. It's take the bin from the backyard and roll it to the front of the house. I was once chatting with a friend who's also on the spectrum. And, uh, and afterwards, I, I was talking with my husband about how we speak. And he said, but don't you realize that when you and Stephen talk together, I have no fucking clue what you're talking about. <laughs> and I, I was just flabbergasted because because to me, our conversation seems so perfectly precise and explicit that how can you not understand? Every word is specifically chosen. And when we delve into specificities is to make sure that we understand each other. No, but hang on. Do you mean X or do you mean X plus one plus three in language terms? Yeah. And actually something you just said gave me this, this visual. Um, you know, when I often speak in tangents and it might be one sentence and it might take five minutes to complete that sentence because of the specificity. And the way that I see it is truly in my mind, the sentence that I'm saying 
is visually in my brain. I can see the sentence laid out. And then I can see, here's the four words in the sentence that need clarification. And for me, it's like a diagram of the sentence with all the meaning below them. So my tangents are speak to the first word, to go to the tangent of what it means, go to the next word, speak to that tangent, and we get to the end. And with another autistic person, they are so clear, they are on point, they get what I'm saying. I've realized that what happens for neurotypical people is they see it as a linear sentence. So the tangents are all part of the sentence. And what they end up with is not like a 10 word sentence with three deep dives on words. What they see is like a 71 word sentence and they have no idea what they're supposed to focus on. And it's, it's changed the way I communicate with my husband in particular. We've been planning a vacation and got into an argument over this because I kept going on tangents about this thing or that thing. And he couldn't see the itinerary in his head. So I, I had to slow it down and say, okay, Here's the itinerary. I'm going to talk about like left to right. Now I'm going to go top to bottom on this part of it. I've heard it expressed. Um, I I don't think these were scientifically accurate terms, but I've heard it dis- described as um, ver- verbal processors versus written processors in the sense that verbal processors tend to uh, think their way through speaking. And so when they start a s- sentence, they don't necessarily know how they're going to finish it. And it's through speaking that they figure out what they're thinking. You know, what's interesting is I use both styles. I think that I learned how to speak more uh, extemporaneously, like just off the cuff, because of feedback that I came across as too robotic if I didn't. I taught myself how to be a bit more fluid there because I do know what I'm going to say, but I also find it easier if I process out loud with somebody. Interesting. Um, sorry, I was just realizing that there's there's one question I, I should have asked you um, perhaps earlier, because this is, I think, the number one question that you got, which was, um, how has uh, being on the spectrum impacted your life and career? Being on the spectrum has both advanced and held me back in my career in different ways. I, because of how I think, because I see problems and solutions to problems in different ways than other people and often more quickly than others, simply because I'm processing more data points than a neurotypical person might be processing, we are taking in so much sensory information and making connections and processing it alongside previous sensory information, whether we heard it, read it, saw it, felt it, right? All of that is being combined together in in our own neural pathways, in a, an associative logic, not a linear logic, we get to problems faster. Uh, sorry, solutions to problems faster as a result. That has helped me in my career because there has been times where I've seen what I think is a better solution. And so as an entrepreneur, I've just gone and done it. And I've launched two products that have both been successful in in their own right, because I went and solved a problem that I didn't think anyone else had figured out how to solve correctly yet, or at least better than what was there. But it also holds me back because the part that I still struggle with most is the relationship. And in order to be the, I don't love the term, but especially in this context, it makes sense, the intrapreneur within a company, because the relationship is hard for me, I have a harder time getting the, the solution done. And like I've, I've found success doing that. It's not like I've not been able to still have success, but that success comes with a much higher tax on me as a person. I work longer hours than a lot of my colleagues. 
by choice. I have worked nights and weekends in jobs that most people probably didn't have to do that for, but I chose to because the only way I could make sure I was prepared for the next set of conversations that were coming in a way that was going to be effective for the relationship was to spend extra time preparing for that conversation because I needed to make sure that it was going to be an effective conversation and it doesn't come as easily for me. So you do get extra homework essentially. I do. Yeah. You know, the irony is I've virtually had no homework until I was in high school because I could finish most of it in between class breaks or at lunch. And I once purposely gave myself homework because I felt left out that I was probably in sixth grade. And my mom's like, Oh my God, you have homework tonight. You never have homework. And I'm like, well, I could have just finished it on the bus, but I chose not to because I don't know, never, no one can hang out with me because they're all doing homework after school anyway. So I just thought I would do it after school. That's adorable. Um, there, there's one um, one point that we talked about before I remember to turn the recording on, which I, I do want to come back to because it is, it's bloody fascinating. Um, when we were speaking about things that can hold people back um, when they're on the spectrum in the workplace and I can't remember how we got there, but we were discussing voice tone and the, the impression that I had that people on the spectrum often have a higher than average voice tone and how in our current male dominated workplace, um, it is systematically lower registers that tend to be taken more seriously. And you had a fantastic experience with that. Tell me about it. I mean, fantastic, nonsense sense of that's great. A really interesting experience. <laughs> yeah. And it, you know, thanks for coming back to that. It, it, for me, the experience is more complex because of other intersectional identities. As a gay man in the workplace, I already have less authority, whether people believe they're doing it or not. And I have seen it play out in my 20 plus years in work, even in the Bay Area, working in a place that is known for being more inclusive, working in companies that pride themselves on their inclusivity. And I can see how often I'm taken less seriously. And early in my career, the only identity I was, that I knew of was gay. So without additional information, I assumed that the reason I was being told the way I communicate is not landing is that I'm, I'm, I'm talking in a way that's too gay. Now, most people in my career have not said that to me. Some have. And it led me to seek out a speech therapist and one who works on dialects. And I worked with a coach who does this with Broadway stars and how they communicate for different roles. And I had shame about doing it because I had shame about thinking that I needed to change who I was to be taken effectively or shame that I was seen differently. The interesting thing for me is all of that shame was external and was not how I felt about myself. At the same time, now that I understand the autism diagnosis, I actually see other people who are on spectrum speak in similar ways. And it's, it's not a consistent, every person on the spectrum does this, but I do see it. We also see it represented in media by the stereotypes that are often seen as autistic, even if they aren't explicitly coded or explained that way. Sheldon Cooper in The Big Bang Theory. Interestingly, it was that character that gave me the first idea that I might be autistic. I had a coworker tell me one day, have you watched Big Bang Theory? You really remind me of Sheldon. And I went and watched the show and you can see how he's the butt of so many jokes, 
And yet I still recognize that I felt like him. There are so many scenes where he is going up at the end of a sentence. And I went through some training to learn how to speak in ways that are going to land so that I do end a sentence on a, on a lower note or on a down. Um, we've talked about doing that, um, not doing that in the middle of a sentence when you're pausing so that people know you're going to continue, right? So there are, are ways that you can employ this. And I will tell you why, while I look back at the fact that I went to a speech therapist over what I thought was being quote unquote too gay. And I just have a lot of self-compassion for who that person was for me and who I was at that moment and what I needed to feel protected and safe. If it was going to be changed the way I talked so that I felt I could be more successful, I was willing to explore it. And today with the autism lens, I see it more as perhaps a different characteristic that had nothing to do with the fact that I'm gay. So now removing that from the equation, now I just look at it as, oh, if I am in a situation where I need to be most effective, this is something I can do that doesn't feel like it's changing who I am. It's just a tool. Me going down or lower at the end of a sentence, if it's going to make the other person understand me clearer, that's an advantage to me. When you learned how to speak in a lower register, you did see a difference in how people reacted to you? Overnight. I mean, the advantage I have of seeing a therapist work on this with me over several weeks is that literally the next day after a session, I would, I would try out different techniques and see how it landed. I saw people take my ideas more seriously. I saw my proposals get accepted more quickly. I saw my ability to, um, to get people on board with a new idea, a more creative solution that, and they might've been more resistant to in the past was there. And, you know, the thing I have to say is I didn't always, and I don't always speak at, with a, something like a lilt at the end. There were places, there were times when I actually really came across as very much more kind of holistic. And those were in times of crisis or high stress situations or high pressure situations. When you're in that position, it's easier for me to actually just be myself because people are shutting down. Neurotypical, holistic people are shutting down some of the social niceties and mores that we expect. And so you put me in high pressure, high stress, I'm like, okay, we're going to do one, we're going to go two, we're going to do three, you do this part, you do that part, let's go. And in those situations, I'm given all this praise. The moment it's not high pressure for other people, even if it's high pressure for me, that, that freedom is gone. That's the thing that I wish more employers realize is that for a lot of autistic people can be really, really good in crisis situations. Absolutely. Because yep. we tunnel vision, we focus. And in terms of me and my husband, he is fantastic at the physical world, never let me drive a car. But if it's a question of making quick decisions and, and keeping a cool head under pressure, I'm your gal. I am realizing that I have uh, taken us slightly way over time. Um, and it's, yeah. so I'm going to try to limit it down to two last questions. The first one is what can we as autistic professionals do to make things better for the next generation of autistics? I have read some recent studies, uh, both in the UK and the U S that shows as many as 50 to 60% of people on spectrum do share this with their employer, less so with HR, more so with their teammates, um, depending on the level of accommodation that might be needed, um, of course. I think the more that we can talk about this and provide 
a more rich dimensionality to what the autistic experience is, the more it'll open up people to understanding, holistic people to understanding what it's like to work with somebody who's autistic. Media for storytelling shows the extreme stereotypes because it makes the story easier to identify. But we're not all geeky engineers. We're not all uh, doing different hand-waving gestures or echolalia or any of these other characteristics. Some of us do, some of us don't. And talking about this broader dimension of our experiences will help people understand you probably already work with a lot of people who are autistic and don't realize it, right? Last question, I promise. Um, what do you wish, what question do you wish more people would ask you or what last thing would you like to say that we haven't covered? Hmm. Such a personal question. So I'll, I'll go with a very personal answer. For me, I really wish people would ask me what I think about a situation. With with some real curiosity behind that question, whether it is, how do you think we solve the problem or what do you think is really going on here? Can you help me think about why the situation is happening or what's wrong with the situation? And I mean that not just for tasks related to work, but also relationships. I think I do actually read situations, especially if they don't involve me better than some other people do. And you know, when it involves me, there's some blind spots there, but that's also human, holistic or otherwise. Just being asked my perspective is some of the, the is some of the strongest ways that I know I belong because it feels like they actually care. That is lovely and wonderful, and thank you so much, Ennis. Um, where should we direct people if they want to learn more about your work or you, or is are there any resources you'd like to point them towards? Well. They can find me on LinkedIn and reach out. Um, I'd be happy to have a conversation uh, with anyone about this. Um, I have to say, I have started to explore how I can help create some resources because I don't actually find a lot of resources that have been what I needed. So this is something I'm starting to work towards. And the surest way I'll know that I'm creating good resources is if people come to me and tell me what they need and are looking for, and maybe even we can make them together. Let's make them. Yeah. Sold. All right. Well, thank you so much for your time. It was lovely. I really enjoyed it. Thank you so much. Ennis, thank you so much for giving us your time and sharing your experience. You can learn more about Ennis Olson by following him on LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram. Remember to follow the Autistic Advantage podcast on Instagram and LinkedIn for new episodes. Our next guest is Hannah Breslin, Educational Developer for the University of the Arts London. This episode will be released July 1st. That's it from the Autistic Advantage podcast. Our team includes Production Director Harvey Range, Community Director Ben Van Hook, Creative Director Kaya Williams, and I'm your host, Olivia Fox. See you next time.